What does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? You and I, as servants of Jesus Christ, we row. We just keep rowing. At the command of the master, of the command of the captain, and then we keep doing it. To be faithful to row at his pace, day after day after day. We're not up on top, giving commands and lording over, and, and being the captain of our own ship, but we're underneath. We're the servant that is listening to the commands of the captain of our master, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, we do read, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. And so, you know, it would be very, very interesting to hear the response of people, whether it's Christians or even non-Christians, if we were to ask a large group of people, what is your definition or what is your view of a minister? And I think that if we did that, that we would get a variety of answers. There are some that see ministers as just those who are in full-time ministry, perhaps they pastor a church like I do, maybe on staff of a church, maybe an evangelist, maybe out in the mission field. And some people view them as ones that are special and holy and people that perhaps have a unique access to God, special favor with God. We know that others perhaps would answer in a way where they see ministers as ones who want nothing more than just to get people's money. Those who see the ministers and the TV evangelists on TV and, and see them as charlatans and those who are just desiring to rip the people off. There are those who have that view. There are all kinds of different views that people have of, of ministers and that definition. I remember years ago, there was somebody who came to me who was very, you know, skeptical about the church and, and at large and Christians and ministry and all of this. And he said, no offense, pastor, but I believe ministers are nothing more than someone who's just nothing but uh, like a, a windbag just blowing hot air. And, and he was nice about it, but he was very honest about it. Well, even though people can come up with all kinds of thoughts and definitions of a minister, what I hope and what I pray that as we go through 1 Corinthians here, that this letter that Paul is writing to the Christians there at Corinth, he is getting them and desiring them to understand. And we need to understand this. What is God's definition of a minister? 
and what are the true responsibilities of a minister and who truly is a minister. You see, the word minister, as most of you know, simply means to serve. It means a servant, and all of us are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So in reality, all of us are called to be ministers. All of us are called their servant Lord in, in some capacity, whatever he may call you to do, how he might gift you, the opportunity that he gives to you. And we see that as we look at the letters to the churches, the, the whole of the New Testament, Jesus' teachings about being a servant, that we see that the biblical definition and God's definition of a servant is a whole lot different than what a lot of people might think is the definition of a minister or a servant. Even those in the church. Even those in the church don't fully understand what it means to be a minister. And so we know that Jesus comes on the scene, and we're going to talk about this on Wednesday nights, in that upper room, hours before he's going to the cross of Calvary. He's going to teach his disciples what it truly means to be a minister. He's going to show them that what it means is, is that you are to wash feet. And so the world will come up with all kinds and people of definitions of a minister. And we see that in Corinth, it was really no different. The people had all kinds of different ideas, the believers, about what a minister is. They had an unbiblical view of what a minister of God truly was. And they were looking for that individual who had prestige. They were looking for that one who had great oratory skills, one who had prominence, one that they could elevate and they could surround themselves around that individual. And that's what was taking place. And the result of that was, as we have seen very clearly over the last couple of weeks, is that it would lead to strife. It would lead to envy. And the result was division that was taking place in the church. And it became a very serious problem in the church. And so the apostle has been at great length pointing out the wrongness, the folly of their mindset of we're going to surround ourselves around the individual. We're going to pick that individual that in the world's eyes seems to, to have prominence or prestige or greatness. And we will center around that man. We will base our unity based on that man. And we will separate from everybody else. And so Paul has been discussing about this and, and the problem that it was bringing and the wrong mindset that it brings to them over the last uh, three chapters and will continue as we move into chapter 4. Paul has said to them that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And he would say that God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. He would say that God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to confound the, the wise and the strong and the things that are not to bring the not, the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. And when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you in, in man's wisdom, but I came to you in fear and trembling and in weakness and with a simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul knew that it was the gospel message that would change people's life. It was the power to save people. And he would go on to explain that your foundation is on Jesus Christ. And you are to find your unity based on him. Matter of fact, build your life upon him because he is your foundation. And all of your works that you do, as we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 3, 
Everything that we do, building on that foundation in this life, will be tried by fire on that day as we will stand before him, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes, and understand this, Corinthians, that you are Christ and you are to gather around him. You're not to gather around a man. You're to bring praise and glory to the Lord, not to a man. You see, Jesus is the one who died for you. That's why Paul brought that message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And a man or a minister or a church cannot save anyone. All we can do is point you to the one who can save you, and that is Jesus Christ. I cannot provide forgiveness of sin for you. I cannot provide salvation. I cannot bring you into right relationship with the Father. It's only through Jesus Christ as we come to Him in faith and surrender our hearts to Him as Lord and as Savior. And so that's the main message that Paul has been trying to get them to understand. And that a steward of God, he's explaining to them, a servant of the Lord, a minister will have this mindset as we continue to look at Paul's letter here in chapter 4. Let's read it again, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So here is the apostle writing, telling the believers at Corinth that as you consider us, realize that we're just servants of Christ. We are stewards of the mystery of God. You at Corinth need to know this since you're dividing over us. Since some of you are saying, well, we're going to surround ourselves around Cephas, or that is Peter. Since some of you are saying, we're going to surround ourselves around Apollos, or we're going to surround ourselves around Paul and separate from everybody else. And we're just servants, is what Paul is getting across to them of the Lord. And it's interesting that the word that Paul uses here for servant he uses that word in the original language that means an underrower. That is, that underrower that would be in the bottom of a ship. You perhaps have seen movies and, and things of the old ancient ships, and in the bottom was the, the uh, galley there on the lower deck, and underneath there was the galley slaves that were there, and they would have those oars, and they would be rowing, Right? at the command of the master, at the command of the captain. And it may be a small ship, uh, one on a bench on either side, or it might be that there's a whole bunch down there on long benches and a long oar that would come through a hole in the side of the ship and they would roar and row and row and row together at the command of the captain. And they just kept doing it. They kept doing it. They weren't up on top. They weren't seen. They were down below. And, and they would just do what it is that they were told to do. They didn't question the, the master or the captain. They didn't argue with him. They just trusted, as the captain would say, I want you to row, and row at this beat, and they would trust that the ship was going to get to its destination. That was the word that Paul is using for a servant, the under rower that is just to be faithful to row. So what does it mean to be a servant of Jesus Christ? You and I, as servants of Jesus Christ, we row. We just keep rowing. At the command of the master, at the command of the captain, and then we keep doing it. To be faithful to row at his pace, day after day after day. We're not up on top, giving commands and lording over, and, and being the captain of our own ship, but we're underneath. We're the servant 
that's listening to the commands of the captain of our master, Jesus Christ. And you know what the key to being a servant is? Paul tells us this, and I have it underlined because this is so important, that verse 2, that it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are to be faithful, and that's how you are successful in God's eyes in being a servant, a steward of God, simply to be found faithful. Now, remember in the previous chapter that Paul was writing, he said, listen, one of us, plants another one of us waters but god gets the increase in other words we all have a part to play and we discussed that at quite a bit at length all of us have a part to play whether it's praying for people or serving in practical ways or teaching god's word raising your children in the ways of the lord all of us are called to serve the lord in in our lives as we're submitted to the lord and oftentimes what will happen is is that we will think that being successful in serving the Lord means there's going to be results to where the world's going to look at us and, and say, wow, look at that minister, look at that person, look at the prestige they have. See, our mindset today can be very similar to the Corinthians' mindset that they had 2,000 years ago. Now think about this, Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah was one, he was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach. And Jonah's heart wasn't right. He didn't want to go. And the reason that he didn't want to go wasn't because he was scared. The reason he didn't want to go is because he hated the people of Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians had persecuted the house of Israel. The the Assyrians were brutal, and they were mean, and they were the powerhouse of the day. And people were frightened of the Assyrians. And Jonah was like, I don't want to go there. So he gets on a boat. He goes the opposite direction. And he heads out into the sea. You know the story how a storm comes up. He's thrown overboard. A large fish swallows him up. And then he is washed up on the shores as the fish barfs him up there. He washes up. He goes to Nineveh reluctantly. He goes throughout the city. This is a city they believe, archaeologists, at this time, a city of a million people. And he walks around, and he's yelling, judgment's coming in 40 days. Judgment's coming in 40 days. Judgment's coming in 40 days. So what does the king of Nineveh and the people do? They repent. They thought, we better repent or judgment's going to come. And Jonah, his heart wasn't right. And he went up on the hill, and as the book ends, God was teaching him a lesson about his grace and his mercy being extended to all people. And and Jonah was mad because he wanted God to judge them and bring fire and brimstone upon them. But when you look at that, to the world, a million people getting saved in a city, he would have been considered being very successful in the world's eyes. I mean, look at it, great revival, greater than Billy Graham. A million people getting saved. Now compare that with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who ministered for 40 years there in Judah, and it's not recorded that there was one convert that Jeremiah had. He ministered faithfully. He ministered at a time when the nation was plunged dark into darkness, into idol worship, and yet he was faithful to it. He wept for the people. That's why he was called the weeping prophet. And he would minister the truth of God's word, but not one conversion. Now, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene. And as I mentioned to you at Caesarea Philippi, about six months before Jesus went to the cross, he's there with his disciples. And he said, who do men say that I am? 
Uh, who do people say, the nations say, that I am? And it was the disciples saying, well, some say that you're one of the prophets, that you're Elijah or you're Jeremiah. But it's interesting, none of them said that you're Jonah. None of them mistaken him as being Jonah. But they did say Jeremiah. That Old Testament prophet that in the world's eyes perhaps wasn't successful, but in God's eyes he was. Because he was faithful in what God had called him to do. You and I are just to be faithful to what God has called us to do. You're not going to get noticed oftentimes. You're not going to get applauded. You're not going to get patted on the back. But that's okay. Neither did Jeremiah. But what you will find is that the Lord will bless you. I love that story in the Old Testament, a very short story that's mentioned very briefly in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's talking about David's mighty men. And one of his mighty men was named Shammah. And as Shammah is listed there in 2 Samuel chapter 23, he was told by David that what you are to do is you are to guard this field of beans, of lentils. Shammah, plant yourself here. So it says in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that Shammah stationed himself in the field. That is, he planted himself there. And all of a sudden, the cry goes out, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. And everybody made a run for it. So what does Shammah do? He said, the king has given me a job to do. He's told me to station myself and to guard this field of lentils, of beans. That's what David has told me to do, and I'm going to be faithful to the king, even though everybody else is splitting, everybody else is running off. So he dug in. He stationed himself there, as 2 Samuel chapter 23 says, and the Lord looked down on Shammah and blessed him for his faithfulness. So here was a guy that was willing to die because he was doing what the king asked him to do. And the Lord blessed him. And the Lord worked through Shammah. And the Lord single-handedly, using Shammah, would bring victory to Israel, taking on Shammah did the whole army of the Philistines. God worked a miracle. Because Shammah stayed faithful. The whole Philistine army was defeated miraculously. I believe that the greatest need in the church today when it comes to serving, listen, is not just more men of faith, more women of faith, but I believe what the church really needs when it comes to the area of serving is more faithful men and more faithful women who will just station themselves, who will stand their ground and to say, this is what the Lord has called me to do. And I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be faithful to it, even though others will split, even though it may be difficult, even though the attacks come. I'm going to station myself in the field. I'm going to guard the beans, the lentils. And everybody else might flee, but I'm going to stay here and stay faithful to the Lord. Because the son of David, the greater David, has called me to do this. One thing that is required, one thing, folks, of a steward, of a servant, of a minister, is that they be found faithful. Just keep plugging away as an underroar, as a steward who knows where the goods are, uh, that can pull them out at the right time. Verse 2, the word steward, that's what it means. Its steward was one who took care of the master's goods. He didn't own the goods. He just took care of the goods. He managed the goods. 
to where he knew where to pull out those goods when the master had need of them, and they were used for the master's purposes. And so it was a good steward that was one who was able to do that. The master would say, I need this, and he was able to get it and use it for the purposes of the master. That's what you and I are called to do, to be faithful and just being that steward for God. Stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mysteries of God and to give the word of God to others. May you and I be faithful in that, to give in the truth of the gospel and God's word, to know where the goods are, to be able to reach and get those and to be a blessing to others as we give them truth, as we serve them, as we love them. That's one of the things why I've always said when it comes to a steward, to being a good steward, knowing where the goods are, that's why it's real important that you know the Scripture and the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. People will say to me, Pastor Jeff, how is it that you can take the Old Testament, that illustration, and apply it what's being taught in the New Testament? And it's because just over the years, you know, as you study the Scriptures, as you go through it, you're able to do that. And you're able to do that as well. Just as you study God's Word, Old and New Testament, being faithful to, to continue to grow in God's Word, and then when you need it, that you're able to take the Master's truth and goods and be able to share that with others. So what is it that God has called you to do? Opportunities. What, what is on your heart? How is it that you can minister to others? And as you are living life and as you're walking with Him, you just be faithful to doing what the Lord has called you to do. And others may be running and splitting around you. But what you are to do is you are to dig in your heels and say, Lord, I'm going to stay put until you tell me otherwise. I am going to just keep rowing day after day. I'm going to be that faithful steward that you've called me to do. And Lord, if you've called me to guard the beans, the lentils, that's what I'm going to do. I just want to be found to be a faithful steward. And verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Paul here is saying, I don't put a lot of stock in what you're saying about me. Some of the believers, many of the believers at Corinth were putting Paul down. They were judging Paul. And he says, it doesn't bother me that you judge me. I don't even judge myself. Now when you do minister and put yourself in that place of ministry, there will be all kinds of pressure that can be put on you as a minister. People judging you. As a minister, I've experienced that, the pressure of people over the years, and, and the judgment and the criticism and the evaluations and all that. And that judgment sometimes will be where it is critical or putting you down. Sometimes that judgment might be to where people elevate you. And Paul here says, it's a small thing for, for me that you judge me. Paul had a unique relationship with the Corinthian church. They, for a lot of the part, a lot of the Christians, they, they held him out at arm's length. And they would criticize Paul. And that would grow, and we see it in the second letter particularly that he wrote to them. He says, the more that I love you guys, the less I am loved by you. And Paul was one that labored for them. He wasn't supported by the Corinthians. Now, the church of Philippi, they loved Paul. They expressed that love to him. They supported Paul so he could minister full-time. But it wasn't that way with the Corinthians. And so Paul says, you can judge me, but it's no small thing that you judge me. And, 
And, and they were always trying to influence Paul in, in all of this and all kinds of talk that was going on concerning Paul and comparing him with the other ministry leaders and apostles that would come on the scene. You know, one of the things that we do need to be as careful as ministers, we can be influenced on how others are judging us or evaluating us or looking at us rather than just being faithful to the Lord and saying, Lord, how is it that you evaluate me? And that's what Paul is going to say again here in verse 4. He who judges me is the Lord. So he says, I, I don't you know, consider it a big thing for you guys to judge me. I don't even consider, judge myself, he says. Now, in that, Paul is not saying that he didn't evaluate what it is that he is doing, certainly he did. He says, for I know nothing against myself, verse 4. Paul was always one that would present his heart to the Lord. He wanted to be right before the Lord. But what he is saying here is, actually later on in this chapter, he's going to say, imitate me. Later on in, in the book, he'll say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Second Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. So there is that judgment that comes from others. And then there's that judgment that is that self-judgment. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.